The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony, a news magazine show featuring human interest, in the spotlight, movers and shakers, and the news and happening that affect all of us in and out of the ACB community. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday Edition. This is Anthony Corona. This is the podcast version. We're having a little bit of technical difficulties, but we will work it all out. And that is the fun of being on live radio. Um, (laughs) I am going to dispense with announcements today and go straight to the first of my two conversations. In the background, Katie Frederick is getting us connected to the ACB Media Network. She's playing double duty, so I owe her huge, huge, huge thank you. Um, and I am very, very, very pleased to have Nefertiti Matos Oliveras back on Sunday edition. Hey, it helps to unmute. How's it going? <laughs> it's it's going okay. <laughs> I, I think my heart rate is starting to go back to its regular uh, to its regular speed. Um, I <laughs> we hear that you've had an interesting couple of days too. How are you? How are you feeling? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's been a bit of a dramatic weekend. There was a fire on my floor here where I live, and it's caused all sorts of pandemonium. I'm okay, though. My apartment's okay. And luckily, I didn't have to sort of uh, abscond with with a few things, you know, and go crash at someone else's place or what have you. And I'm, I'm really happy that I can make it here today. I've really been looking forward to this conversation. Thank God. Thank you. And thank God you're okay. And uh, I know it's cold up there. So the heat and, and water and all that is good in the building. Yes. Heat, water, all that is fine. There was a bit of a, well, not a bit, a, a, a large <laughs> uh, leak in the lobby as a result of the fire. Um, so I'm not sure how the apartments on that particular line are faring. Hopefully okay. Um, but I think the rest of us are are doing all right as far as heat and water and all that. And yes, you're right. It is very cold. I live in New York City. And oh, boy, it is winter. <laughs> yeah, you, you guys had the uh, I'm down here in Miami. I haven't been in the, haven't been in a New York winter now in two years, thankfully. <laughs> Lucky you. I'm sure you don't yep. miss it. I no, no, not at all. Not a, <laughs> not even a single little bit. <laughs> I don't blame you. So let's um let's do the deep dive because when you were here before, we were here with a purpose. Um, so now I would like the folks to get to know you a little bit more. Um, if you want to tell us where you grew up, a little bit about your life, you know, as a young Nefertiti. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. And I'm entering into my not so young years now. So uh, catch me now while I can still remember. Okay. So (laughs) um, let's see. Uh, I am a first generation American born um, female, I guess, Latina. My parents are from the Dominican Republic and they migrated to this country in the 80s where they had my sister and I. Um, And yeah, I... I grew up here and went to school here. Some people are are surprised to hear that uh, 
or to learn that I went to schools for the blind all of my life. Elementary school was at a school called Lavelle School for the Blind in the Bronx, New York. And from there, I went to the New York Institute for Special Education, also in the Bronx, New York. And so my entire sort of formative school years from elementary school through to high school or through high school uh, were in schools for the blind. And while there were some really neat opportunities there, I like to especially cite um, being able to be on the track team and a swim team and a cheerleading team and traveling and competing against other blind teams and all that stuff. Uh, there was a, a very severe deficit in my education, especially mathematics education. At the time, I was just thrilled, like, I'm a boss, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting away with not having to learn algebra or geometry or whatever. <laughs> um, but later, once I was in college, and then as an assistive technology trainer, which I'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit, um, I realized that I really did not do myself any favors um, by being so sort of cavalier about all that that stuff um but you know I think this is a a bit of a common sentiment that a lot of people have who go to schools for the blind where there is a a lack and there is a a bit of a of a gap sometimes in the education they received um I I'm fortunate in that I've I believe I've made up for it but you know, it was, it's, there's no need. There's no need for that. Um, so. I'm going to pause us there for one moment and just say sure. hello to the folks on ACB Media One. Sorry that you're coming to us um, a few minutes into the show. You didn't miss um, that much. Uh, um, <laughs> Nefertiti has been telling us about her early life. You can catch the very beginning of this on the podcast. We had a little bit of technical issues. And again, to everybody out there, I just want to say a huge, huge, huge thank you to Katie Frederick, who is playing double duty so that we can make it to the HB media stream. Um, so you were telling us, Nefertiti, about a gap. And I'm, I'm going to assume, and if I'm wrong, please don't hesitate to tell me that I'm wrong. But I'm going to assume that, you know, they have to make space for some of the act for you know for some of the blindness skills education that needs to be and so maybe that's why Neff wasn't as um um as core of a uh, of a class in in the blind schools as as it is for mainstream schools that could be but I'll be honest with you when it came to like my cooking skills and my cleaning skills and just generally taking care of myself and my my like personal upkeep I learned most of that at home with my mom and my family um as Latinos our culture is very tight knit sometimes a, a bit suffocatingly yeah. so um <laughs> but still I'm very grateful that um, when it came to that sort of thing, you know, uh, learning how to dress and, and learning how to to keep up with my, my appearance, learning how to be a good Latina woman in the kitchen, you know, and and things of that sort, that was all taken care of at home. I did have some like home mech type of daily activity. Uh, what is it? Activities of daily living type classes um, in high school, mostly, but when I talk about like the educational deficits I experienced, I mean, I can think back on this even in elementary school. I just feel like the expectations were so low, even in a place that was specifically for 
blind children and touted itself, you know, as the place where blind children should be and how they had XYZ thing over the mainstream option. Mainstream being that I would go to a quote unquote regular school and maybe have, you know, a class or two with other disabled students to make up for whatever you know, I, right. I I was a little slow at or, or not keeping up with or too visual or what have you. These blind schools said, oh, no, no, we can do better than that. Send your kids here. And my parents, my mother specifically, bought into all that. Um, and I loved it. I loved being with other people like me. But again, as as an adult looking back, and especially when I was in college and such and realizing like, whoa, I didn't learn this or you know, I'm having so much trouble because this wasn't pushed on me more. Um, it was a, a bit of a rude awakening in that sense. What about socializa- socialization um, versus, you know, being in mainstream school where, where, where the socialization opportunities mostly centered around only blind or where you brought, you know, and given um, opportunities to meet other peers your age from other schools, et cetera, that, you know, weren't part of the blind or low vision community? No, you know, um, when I was very young, I would, I would, you know, go to school and come home every day. But after a while, uh, in high school, especially, I was given the opportunity to stay there. A lot of these schools have a residential component to them and I thought wow heck yeah at 14 be on my own I mean there were house parents that's what they were called house mothers and things like that but basically a way to sort of make myself be more independent I jumped at the chance um, to do that and in that sense I felt very very independent and the like but it was only really when I went home on the weekends that I got more of the mainstream stuff because my sister was around and my cousins were around and then I could, you know, hang out with them and hang out with their friends, such as, such as I, you know, wanted to anyway. Um, but during the week at school, I was like this big fish in this small pond and I loved it. Right. I loved it. Um, but I also, part of me knew even at that age that that was sort of a, a pretty exclusive thing that was only really available to me because I was in a setting where we were all the same. And by the same, I mean that we were all low vision and blind. When I was, um, I was grew up in Staten Island as most listeners know. Um, One of my younger friends, one of my younger cousins, excuse me, was friends with a blind girl who went through, uh, you know, K through fifth grade with, with them, with us. Um, and they were two or three years younger um, than I was, and then went to, you know, a residential school, and somewhere, I want to say maybe, I was already out of high school, so maybe they were either sophomores or juniors, Um, she came back because she felt like she wasn't getting um, the socialization skills, and and that some of, um, you know, some of what she wanted out of the world was a little too micromanaged, and, and the opportunities were different um, and came back and did and graduated high school back in Staten Island. Um, mm-hmm. Were there, were there students who came in and out um, for reasons such as that? Yes. I remember one specific child. Um, he was a very high partial, right? One of these people who's barely legally blind and he enjoyed the school, uh, but his parents were, 
were like, no. After a year of him being there, they pulled him out and they put him back in mainstream school uh, because they felt like his education had taken quite a dip. And while he was having a lot of fun, wreaking a lot of havoc, he was very mischievous, this kid. Um, You know, his (laughs) parents were like, yeah, yeah. His parents were like, you know, school should be fun, but this is a little too fun for you, guy. And they took him out. And I remember I remember that specifically. And I remember feeling like, hmm, especially because I did have some exposure across the street from where I went to high school. There was a mainstream school um, and I did get to experience that a little bit. There were some like, you know, bring the sighted kids to the blind school, take the blind kids to the sighted school type of exchanges. And I do remember feeling like, you know, am I getting everything I could be getting at the blind school and sort of being intimidated by how I was treated at the sighted school, right? Like not a lot of people talked to me. The ones who did was because they were like teamed up with me and kind of had to. Um, I It just felt, I just felt disconnected from sighted kids in a way that I did not feel when I went home. But then again, I was home. I was with family. They accepted me. They knew me, all that. So that was in and of itself a bit of a microcosm too. Um, Again, it wasn't till college when I had to sort of face the fact that I had been very sheltered and I sort of had to figure out very quickly and rather painfully that, you know, I, I needed to to figure things out in a whole other way that I just wasn't exposed to quite as much all those years, you know. You know, I've heard versions of this story a lot since I came into the community. What's, um, you know, what were the, the big lessons those first couple of months of college that, that, you know, still stick with you? Yeah. Um, I'd say again, the biggest thing, the most, the most, uh, how can I like the the most glaring thing was the differences in my education versus what other kids had was assumed that they had already been exposed to. You know, I remember oh. a history class, a history 101 class. Um, you know, I, I there were there were events, I mean, major events about, you know, the Civil War and things like that, that I don't remember ever really learning and if I learned it, I was so like in 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 another world that I don't remember. I guess I didn't retain it, you know, so that was something just feeling like I was behind uh, my sighted peers at college, um, but also socially just striking up a conversation for whatever reason, as I said earlier, I was a big pond in a, or excuse me, a big fish in a small pond in the blind school. But when it came to, to interacting with sighted kids, I was so intimidated for some reason and I couldn't quite figure it out. And it made me, not only did the intimidation make me feel bad, but then I felt bad for feeling bad. And so beating Uh up on myself for not being able to to strike up a conversation or when I did strike up a conversation with someone feeling like they were doing it just because they felt bad for the blind girl. There was this one situation I specifically, well, I don't think about it often now, um, but I'm thinking about it now. And for a long time, it hurt. It hurt. I, I overheard two girls walking by 
one morning. And one of them actually said hello to me. And I said, hey, how are you? Have a nice day. And as they were walking away and going down the stairs, I heard the other girl, not the one who said hello, but the other one say, ill, you talk to her. Don't talk to her. And I was wow. like, whoa, ouch. And I mean, that stayed with me for years that like, ew, don't talk to her. You talk to her, you know, like, wow. whoa. And, you know, painful little, like, little, like, they seem little, but they, they also feel quite big. Those, those rejections, you know, or those, you know, wondering, like, is it that I don't dress well, but I, I knew I dressed okay. Is it the cane in my hand? But I need this cane in my hand, you know? Is it that my eyes move around and I can't make eye contact, but I, I am blind, you know? So, so these, these kind of things that, that got under my skin and made me question my, my worth and my, and again, coming from a place where I felt really good about myself in the blind school. So I appreciate that, those experiences that I had at the blind school and the confidence I was able to gain. But a lot of that was dashed once I was in the real world and I had to build it all back up again in a very different way. And it took me a long time and it, it was not easy. When did you start to feel the balance that things were, you were coming back into your own and that the world where you were a big fish, you know, is a great world and, and you'll always be a part of it. But now you know, you're a guppy in, in the, you know, the worldwide <laughs> web, the worldwide web, the, the, yeah. the, world, the world at large. Let's go with that instead. <laughs> I, yeah, well, believe it or not, it wasn't until my mid twenties. And I'll tell you why, because at college around my sophomore year, I, I was found, uh, you know, I, I came home during spring break of my second semester of, of sophomore year and I wasn't feeling well. And my mom took me to the doctor and just thinking that maybe I was a little anemic, I wasn't sleeping well, you know, late night studying, blah, blah, blah. And actually, they found that I was in the midst of kidney failure. And that threw me into this whole thing. I dropped out of school. I was put on dialysis. Uh, several family members got tested to donate a kidney to me. Once that was all done, it was decided that my mother was the best match. Uh, we went through the process of her donating a kidney to me. It took me a while to heal from that and all the resentment that came from, from all of that and all the physical pain and the adjustments and, and all this that you have to undergo when you are now a chronically ill person, right? That has to be on medication for the rest of your life and all this stuff. And I went through a period of, even though the doctors were like, all right, kid, you've got your transplant everything looks good. Go back to school, go back to your life. And I was like, what go back to what life? Like it, I, I just it, it major depression and all sorts of things. I was a bit of a hermit for a while living on an, you know, in an online world. And uh, then I met this person who I went on to have a relationship with. And that turned out to be a, a long-term relationship, but a very isolating and abusive relationship that I finally got myself out of. But this we're talking now six, seven years after school. OK, so I'm in my mid 20s now and I find myself having to rebuild my life again as someone who is not 
attached to anyone who did not pursue education while in that relationship, who did not work at all outside of the home while in that relationship and finding myself as like, who exactly is Nefertiti, right? And what exactly does she want? And uh, yeah, so to answer your question again, it wasn't till my mid twenties when I got myself back in school and I got myself a job and I started making friends again and I started discovering who I am, what I stand for, what I don't like, which has been so important. I, I, I feel like yeah. learning what you don't like and what you don't want is so much more informative than uh, figuring out what you do. Cause usually that, that comes, you know, um so yeah I started coming into my own once I started living for myself and now that I'm in my 30s I really am living my best life but it it took me a while to figure it out and uh quite a bit of stumbling along the way but here we are so when you were coming you know from that that big that big fish little pond into you know into the world the first time you know, what, what were your aspirations? Um, ha- and have they shifted, you know, to when you think back, you know, are you close to the Nefertiti that you thought you were going to be then? Um, I-, I would imagine, you know, these life experiences, God, you're strong, by the way. And, and I remember having <laughs> what you just said. I remember having that conversation with you, how it's so, you know, it's so important to know what you don't like, what you don't need, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you know, admitting that it's okay to to embrace i don't like this i don't need this i don't want to be a part of this um it was very early in my blind journey and that meant a lot to me it it, it helped open the path a lot of paths up for me um so i'm really wow. glad to be able to have the opportunity to to thank you for that because you know i was stuck in like begging for services and trying to find the right way and this and that and and doing what you know what i thought you know the professionals were telling me that I would, I should do what I needed to do and, and realizing that some of it just wasn't working for me. And, you know, that, that conversation with you was really important because it, it opened me back up to saying, wait a minute, I did this in my life all up to this point. You know, why am I kowtowing and not being the Anthony I need to be now? Um, but anyway, I'm sorry. I digressed because I really did want to thank you for that. No, not at um, all. Wow. I'm so, I'm so glad that I was impactful. It really you. was. Wow. Um, yeah. And, you know, shortly after that, I went and got the guide dog. And, and I mean, you know, a couple of years later, here we are on Sunday edition. But Heck so yeah. back to the original question, you know, when, you know, when Nefertiti, you know, when the when the big fish started to swim in, you know, in the ocean, are <laughs> you close to the Nefertiti you imagined yourself to be now? No. Back then, I thought I wanted to be an FBI profiler. I wanted to go into jails and and interview serial killers and like be the wow. next huge like revolutionary. Like yeah, At first I was really. It was either check this out. It was either that or become a scholar in Greek mythology. I adored Greek mythology <laughs> oh, for a time. Man. I even learned Greek from friends and from studying all throughout junior high school and high school. Um, And then I got into true crime and serial killers and this idea of like, how is it that so many of us 
like toe the line and follow the rules, but then you have these outliers and they go so off the grid that fascinated me. And I wanted to be like this blind person that could get in the heads of these, of these, uh, uh, folks, <laughs> um, these pretty messed up folks and the like. And then I got to college and I majored in criminal justice. And one of the first classes I had, the professor said to me, don't you think you're better suited to work with your kind of people? Oh, ah, that was that. one of those experiences. And I was already. You, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And remember, I'm already feeling like I don't belong here. People look at me weird. Nobody talks to me, you know, depressed, big fish or or little fish, not so big anymore, all that stuff. And then that teacher said that to me, that professor said that to me. And um, yeah, so that wasn't easy. Um, And then I got sick and I dealt with everything. I I just told you the relationship and, and really not taking care of myself throughout all that, getting lost in taking care of someone else, realizing that it just it just wasn't the right thing for me and walking away one of the hardest things but most rewarding things as it turned out that I've ever had to do emotionally and mentally walking away from someone that you still love but knowing that that love was more harmful than anything else you know anything else um and finding myself again and I I went back to school and the second time I decided to major in community and human services with a minor in a dual minor in uh, women's studies and mental health counseling. And, you know, I, I finished my degree in three years. And I also started working for the New York Public Library as an assistive technology trainer or an, uh, an assistive technology educator. My title was kind of interchangeable. Um, and doing those things together while dealing with a less than ideal roommate situation and all these things going on at once. Um, But they kept me busy and they kept me from focusing on, you know, the, the depression that I so painstakingly tried to claw myself out of. Sometimes keeping yourself busy is one of the best things you can do, especially if it's a productive kind of busy, you know? Um, And, and yeah, so that job with the, with the New York Public Library, I mean, assistive technology training, nothing to do with community and human services, you would think, or women's studies or mental health counseling. And yet there were people who, yeah, there were people (laughs) who I met who were super depressed about going blind or really angry about not getting this iPhone gesture or, you know, where I had to bring in those mental health counseling skills, you know, active listening and things like that, or, you know, the social work aspect of my degree and connecting them to other services and all this. So, you know, on the surface, it doesn't seem like one thing had to do with another, but what I learned in school and what I continued to be interested in did help me help other people in more ways than just the assistive technology training at that job. And as I I said in my previous wonderful interview with you, um, I believe I said this, I was there for a good seven years, uh, the NYPL job, and I got a lot out of it. Um, I think, you know, made a bit of a name for myself in the community, which is is very important to me. Um, 
but yeah, now I'm doing something else. <laughs> so I don't know <laughs> if you want to swag- segue to that or you tell me. Well, yeah, we're definitely going to segue to that, but you know, you helped me in, in quite a few ways. Um, and, and I can just imagine how many folks out there listening right now um, also are thinking th- what I'm thinking that you always came in and, you know, our interactions were for a couple months uh, at a very integral piece of my journey, but, you know, it was for a couple of months, but you always came in with such, oh my God, confidence and personality. And I, I don't, you know, I, I don't think I ever would have known if you were down. I didn't know how, you know, I knew you were strong because you, you just listening to you, talking to you, you know it, but hearing the story, I didn't realize how strong, you know, you really are. And there's, there's gotta be a bunch of us out there listening, saying, wow, you know, and how much you, how much you really did. And then the pandemic, and this is why I didn't want to, this is why I didn't want to transition right at that moment. And then the pandemic hit and you helped to create sort of like ACB, you know, a community came along out of, out of a necessity here in ACB, but you created a version of it with, with Chansey and the folks at, at the library um, you know, and you were, you guys were a real lifeline for, you know, for your core group of, 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 um, clients, I guess you, I would call them right. Clients. Yeah. We call them patrons. Patrons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you created that community for them and then it grew and it grew because, you know, it, people were accessing it now all over the country. Tell me a little bit about that for, and, and, sure. you know, do you realize the impact that, you know, that you guys had? for so many folks? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to tell you that I, I appreciate you calling me strong and yes, the kind of life I've had, and this is not even going into my very adverse childhood and all that stuff that I, that I had as well. Um, uh, it, it kind of forced me to be strong. It was either be strong or cave, you know, and there were moments where I really did come very close, frighteningly close to caving in, but because of my, my family, and and therapy and I don't know just this this desire to live that I had whether I knew it or not um I I didn't cave and I did make it through and so yes there's a lot of strength here and I appreciate you and others for acknowledging that and and seeing that but there's also there has also been a lot of dark periods and a lot of really 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 um painful periods and the like but if it doesn't kill you it makes you stronger yeah um and i can attest to that being the case with that said uh yes confidence a lot of my confidence came from being in a position and in a job where we had a lot of autonomy you know uh chancy and i started as volunteers at the New York yep. Public Library. There's a beautiful Braille collection there. I'll give you a little bit of our origin story. There's a beautiful Braille collection there that was a bit under threat for a while. We were told, oh, this is going to be shipped away to some undisclosed warehouse in New Jersey somewhere, and this space is going to be repurposed for something else. And we as advocates in the community were like, what? No, Braille is beautiful. It is not obsolete. You know, give us a chance to, to show you. Um, that if if you build it, they will come right if you open up yep. a space for the community, they will show up because one of the arguments was, well, nobody comes through here to read the Braille, you know, there's there's really it's just sort of sitting here. And so we started this once a week 
four-hour-a-day technology clinic, and we started encouraging the community to come in and get free technology training, free of charge, free of paperwork, free of, you know, any type of, of previous experience or skill or anything like that. Um, which is something you're not really going to get elsewhere, right? There's a commission for the blind, but they have a lot of requirements. And, you know, so we, we did away with all of that. And people did start to come to the point where that clinic turned into Chansey getting hired, me getting hired, me getting a sort of assistant, and us providing over 200 hours of English, um, English technology instruction and over a hundred hours sometimes of Spanish language instruction as well. And we did this through individual coaching. We did this through creating and facilitating group workshops in both languages. Um, We did this through partnering with uh, other organizations throughout New York city and beyond and putting together technology fairs you know, where we would invite vendors to come in and, and sort of tell people about and give people an opportunity to put, literally put their hands on the latest technology. Um, I personally put together this fitness um, yeah. mini fair, if you will, of high and low tech tools for personal fitness. And we did origami and we did Braille group and so many things that we did in person. And once the pandemic hit, we transitioned pretty much all of that online even our braille group was meeting online and we did it because we taught people you know how to get on zoom or how to join by phone and you know we I personally had to develop uh, sort of of out-of-the-box ways of explaining things that I otherwise would have done hand over hand with people Mm -hmm. This is where they literally put my hand, put their hand on mine and they feel the gesture I'm doing or how my fingers are positioned on a keyboard or what, ha- what have you. Or I move their hands a certain way. You know, uh, you can't really do that over Zoom. And right, we're all blind. It's not like we can see what we're doing. So other like developing language and words to explain things that I otherwise would have just maneuvered a person's hand or have them would have had them feel mine um so that was challenging and something i found very interesting um and yeah believe it or not we were able to maintain pretty comparable numbers uh from in-person training to online training and workshops and things of that sort and it was great to you know be part of of keeping this community together who really really could have just fallen by the wayside you know we are already a marginalized community you put this pandemic in and you take away this wonderful space of coming together and building community and all this at the library and I feel like we didn't let that happen we refused to let that happen and we we created something really really beautiful and really effective and I think a lot of be- people benefited from it. And like you said, it, it, you know, you're not the first one that I hear say this really was a lifeline for me. It was a lifeline for a lot of people and, and it needed, it needed its own moment of homage, but now let's talk about the transition. You, you were a huge, you were a whale in a small pond at that point, at, you know, um, at the library. And I mean, you and Chancy, the, you know, the reputation is across the country, you know, people know 
what you guys did and and how you know you brought this program from the ground up and and it's recognized like i said across the country but um you know you have transitioned so what um what started in you that this was this was not going to be where you were going to be for the bulk of, of the rest of your career sure so as much as i got out of my years in the assistive technology field, the truth of the matter is that for a while now, I would say a good three or four years, I have been wanting to explore other things. I just wasn't sure what those other things were. I have a very artsy side to me. You know, I've been in films, I've, I've sung, I've written, you know, all these things. And I thought, well, my my dreams of because there was a time where I entertained this idea of being a triple threat. So somebody who mm-hmm. sings, dances, acts, and I wanted yep. to do it on Broadway, you know, so <laughs> and then I was like, all right, kid, you know, like, let's let's get real. I'm I love those things, but I. It just my family saying, you know, that's that's not a steady kind of a life you know you gotta go to school and you gotta figure uh, figure something out and get more of a job that's a like a nine to five steady thing and especially you put the disability in there and you know people not hiring people like me and all this stuff it's it's again slowly changing but not it's not changing fast enough so I did do the college thing again this is all what I what I was thinking in my mid-20s during that, those times or that time between uh, leaving the, the relationship I was in and trying to figure myself out. And do I go to school? And if I go to school, what do I study? Do I pursue this more artsy side of me? And I decided I was going to go more the academic route. And then the library job came up, the AT position came up. And that was super rewarding for a very long time. So I enjoyed that and I stayed there. But that artsy stuff, that desire to sing and to act and to dance and that never went away. And so I, I've done quite a bit of, of that kind of stuff as my side hustle work. I do a lot of work uh-huh. in uh, cultural accessibility. So work with museums and work with, you know, uh, spaces like uh, gardens. Like I, I have, I'm part of a core working group for the Britan- uh, Brooklyn Botanic Garden, for example, and all these things that kept me in that cultural accessibility space as side hustles to my main gig, which was working for the NYPL as a, as an AT instructor. Um, But again, I've been wanting to move on and sort of pursue something else. And it wasn't till the pandemic when I realized that my, my health being as it is, I am an immune suppressed person because of my kidney transplant. Um, I identify as a chronically ill person or a person who lives with chronic illness. And I just, as much as I love the population we serve at the library, I did not feel safe going back to a place where I could not be assured that everyone I would be coming in contact with was vaccinated. And so I decided, and my wonderful partner had so much to do with this, because his encouragement, his support really sort of helped me rev my engines and decide enough thinking about it enough enough talking about it if you're gonna move on move on 
put the work into moving on. And so what I decided was that uh, what I was noticing was something that I, I wanted to do more than just notice and just talk about. And this is where audio description comes into my life. I was noticing that in the audio description field specifically, um, and I'll talk a little bit more about voiceover work in general in a bit, but in the audio description field specifically, I wasn't hearing much about blind people being part of it. In spite of audio description being something that blind people came up with for us. Uh, and I was like, what, what's going on here? I, I want to, I want to enter this space. You know, I mean, this, this caters to me wanting to have a voice and literally use that voice to further the aims of my, my people, my low vision and blind people. And so I started making inroads into audio description um, and more generally voiceover work. So I, I, I enrolled in a voiceover academy and started studying voiceover uh, and voice acting specifically. And I started sort of interjecting myself, if you will, uh, or meeting people, reaching out with emails and, and, and all that stuff to people who I've been kind of studying um, and being like, all right, I'm going to make you a mentor. I'm going to gleam everything I can from you and all this. Again, people who are already in audio description, specifically blind folks. And I've just continued to, to build on that to the point where the job that I am doing now came as a very opportune, very, very sort of appropriate opportunity, which is as the partnership development coordinator for DICAPTA, which is an accessible media developer. So talk about like things falling into place. I wanted to pursue more of my, of my artsy stuff, my artsy side, as I keep saying, and it's, it's happened. It's happened. It's all come, come at the right time. And, and I was able to make that transition. I'm, I'm still, you know, worry not anybody out there who still wants to wants to hear from me in the assistive technology place. I still intend to volunteer my time. It's sort of like full circle at the library, but it was time to move on. And I'm really happy with how things have, have panned out. Well, I I love how you talk about all your journey. Um, And, and there's definitely, I I say this for my journey, um, there, there's always that component of luck and, and, you know, luck is when opportunity, you know, opportunity meets the right choice. Um, and I believe in that I very, very strongly, but there's also a lot of hard work and what a lot of people don't talk about, which I love how you described. It's also a lot of hard choices. You know, you have, you have to, you have to take that choice and then live the choice. You know, you can say in your head, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And never, and how many people do we know in life that keep, you know, that's their mantra. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But, you know, 10, 15 years have gone by and well, surprise, yes. sweetie, you, you haven't done it. <laughs> you know, right. you have to live that choice. And, and some of them are really, really hard. I mean, I can't imagine, I can't imagine going back to school after, you know, all of those, all of those life challenges you know, and starting all over again and then having what, you know, that big 70% number that hangs over our community. Like, you know, I always think of it as like that, 
that um knife thing that swung back and forth above the guillotine you know mm-hmm. that 70% hangs over so you know you had it you're there you're solid you've got it going on and here's another hard choice that you not only made but lived i'm going to take away my cushion i'm going to take away my safety net and i'm going to jump again yes. so tell us what it's been like the last couple of months cuz you know it seems like <laughs> it seems like your jump turned into you know a a parachuted free fall like oh my god are you in that i'm now coasting and 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 everything is beautiful phase <laughs> Yeah, sort of. Um, I just want to make a point to what you spoke to just a minute ago, which is sometimes it's easier to stay. You know, it really that 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 desire to to move on and to be to do something different and all. But that that sort of inertia, I guess, or inertia um, kicks in a lot of the time. And yeah, you think about I want to move on and I want to do something different and there's got to be better or there's got to be better suited to me. And it's just easier to stay sometimes. But after a while, you might get to a point where you're like, is it really easier to stay? Am I really as happy as I can be? Is this all there is? Is this all I deserve? Is this all I'm capable of? And I decided no. And so, yes, I love how you put it. The leap, that is what it felt like. It felt like a leap, but it also felt like I knew the right way to go about that leap by putting myself back in school. I'm a big proponent of education. And while it was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to go back to school. It was, yeah, I'm going to go back to school, but I enjoyed what I was doing so much. It's a, you know, for me, it was a very specific choice to go back to school for voice acting specifically. So there wasn't any of that extra stuff that we sort of cringe at, you know, this is a very focused group. I'm uh, a focused um, uh, study and and things like that. I'm still, I'm still doing it. Um, And then this job opportunity came up as well. And so my leap lucky for me, turned into a bit of a soft landing, but it was scary. You know, that's not to say that it wasn't. It's hard to leave what you know. It's, it's sometimes, what do they say? Better the devil you know than the one you don't. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was pretty comfortable at the library. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it, this is a whole other, it's still within the accessibility space, what I'm doing, which is very important to me, but this is a whole other field if you will now I'm in media you know but I'm also now working with empowered Latina women just like me which is huge important to me Um, and I'm now working in the entertainment industry in a way making things that are not otherwise accessible accessible and advocating for you know accessibility within movies and tv shows and things like that and I'm also working a lot in the education space, which again, very important to me. So as scary as it was, and as sort of nerve wracking as it was there for a few months when I wasn't finding jobs, and I wasn't finding opportunities, um, it seems to have worked out. So yes, luck, but lots of hard work, definitely an element of fear, but also not losing sight of I'm going to do this and I'm going to figure it out. I am worth it. I have value. What I have to offer is of value. 
And somewhere, someone out there at some point is going to see that and is going to hire me. And of course, it didn't help that I was still, you know, employed by the library. Piece of advice to anybody looking to do this, try to find a job before you leave your job. Um, (laughs) That's that's important, too. So, yeah. (laughs) And then, of course, you still you're still out there side hustling. You know, oh yeah, it's, it, it's you know it's not only I have maybe close to my dream or maybe it is your exact dream now that all of these pieces of the puzzle finally fit in, but you're still doing your side hustle and and quite well. I sure um, am. I just you know, wrote a scholarly article about that's going to come out in the the Journal of Museum Education uh, in September, and you know I, I yes yes, and I'm also my side hustles is in in uh, audio description right so i yep. write audio description i do quality control for audio description scripts and what's most important to me in the audio description space i narrate audio description i love being the blind person who is vocalizing what needs to be told to my blind my fellow blind people to better understand something that's entertaining them or teaching them or helping them escape for a little bit there is so much power in using yeah. my voice, yep. you know, to, to communicate that sort of thing. So, yes, all of these things are happening. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so we're going to take a couple of questions in just a minute. But I, I want to ask you, and you can feel free to, to choose not to answer, but you shared with us a little bit that, you know, you have had a relationship with your, with your mental health. Um, so, you know, you seem so positive, you seem so, and I, and I said this before about walking into the library and never would never would have known. Um, tell us, tell us a little bit about your bad days and when you have a bad day, what you use to be this Nefertiti that we're talking to right now. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you that these days, my good days far outnumber my bad ones. But that is because of all the work that I've done through therapy. I, I like put so much, so much of my today's, uh, I, you know, on the work that I did in therapy. Um, honestly, I've been in therapy since I was 16 years old, off and on. At first, it was something that I was obligated to do you know, when you're underage and all this stuff, um, or, you know, you're under 18, etc. And, and I was very resentful at first, but even then it was working on me even then. And throughout my twenties, I would stop, I would go, I would stop. I would not like this therapist. So I would move on to another therapist. And, and it was all, as I look back on it now, away from, you know, that I was figuring myself out. And as flaky as I was with therapy, that's how flaky I was with myself throughout my early 20s. But I kept going back. There was something about it that like just spoke to me and that I just I don't know. I, I, I kept going back, I think, because I felt that there was something to it. Also, I didn't want to give in to those darker voices and those darker feelings that made me feel like I was drowning and that made me feel like I didn't want to be here anymore. And I, I didn't, I wanted to be stronger than that, you know? 
And I thought that therapy was one of the best ways to do that. And I, I, I was right. Um, and yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, I know we don't have much time to go into it, but what I will say is that, yes, um, I, <laughs> for a long time, lived by fake it to make it. And so a lot of that confidence that you saw, although by the time you saw it, it was starting to feel more real than, than fake, but it was still, by the time we met, Anthony, it was still, I'm, I'm going to put on this face and hopefully, you know, if I dress the part, if I act the part, then I will be yeah, the part. Yeah, yeah. Eventually that became true. You know, I am now the realest I've ever been. But it took a lot of facing my childhood and facing other fears and figuring out coping mechanisms for my bad days. So to answer that part of your question, when I have a bad day, I do everything from writing it down to screaming it out, literally just letting out a good scream, which right. is a little- it's a little hard because I live in New York City, you know, in this cubby hole up in the sky. So my late my neighbors might think I'm getting murdered. So I don't want to scare them. But, you know, maybe I'll walk to Chelsea Piers, which is by the Hudson yep. River and find a space where I'm alone and let out a good scream, you know, or I'll talk to my partner about it or I'll cry. There is so much power in 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 tears in my opinion letting the bad out to make space for the good to come in i think of tears as waves right i used to be really ashamed of crying and now i rejoice when i need to do that because it is such a release you know and yeah. i just think of let the negative out to make space for the positive um and yeah, those are those are my coping mechanisms. Scream it out, cry it out, talk it out, write it out. Just don't let it fester. And remember, it gets better. It gets better. Whether that takes you a minute, an hour, a day, a month, a year, it gets better. You're worth it. And absolutely, you know, you're strong enough. And get some therapy. <laughs> and if I can add one thing to it, feel, feel the pain, feel yeah. the fear. Feel the uncertainty and feel the triumphs, feel those moments, whether it be, you know, I haven't left my apartment or my house because of the pandemic, except for medical and and shopping or whatever, you know, feel, feel those things. And even the small triumphs, feel them. All right. I am having technical difficulties, as I explained at the beginning of the show. So I cannot see um raised hands at the moment so we're going to take a couple of questions for nefertiti before we segue into the second half of the show if we can be respectful about it just unmute yourself say hello and whatever question or comment you have for nefertiti going once (laughs) i can take hands for you Oh, Byron. Awesome. Okay. Are there hands? (laughs) There are. Yes, there are uh, three hands right now. Jane is the first one in the list. So Jane, if you want to go ahead and unmute, go ahead and do so and ask your question. Hi. um, I stayed for like uh, (laughs) the beginning part of it for education. Do you think, um, well, now that everything is, um, well, remote and stuff, um, how, how are, 
uh, students being, are they being blind students? Are they being like mainstreamed? I don't know because I was always like real kind of mainstream myself and I, I don't quite understand the, the culture, but uh, um, just wondering how that has that changed in, I don't know, years. <laughs> Well, thanks for your question, Jane. I don't know that I'm qualified to speak to that. Um, I can tell you that at the library, in my capacity as an assistive technology trainer, um, we did transition from in-person training to a more online component. As far as mainstreaming students, though, I'm not sure that that is happening necessarily. I, so. yeah. I, I could be wrong, but I don't think so. I think that the students who are going to blind school still are still going to blind schools. Um, and maybe there's an online component to what they're doing, but I, I really don't feel like I can speak to that. Thank you for your question, Byron. Who is up? All right. We have another Jane. Um, Jane, I don't want to give out your last name on the air, but the other Jane that has their hand raised, feel free to unmute and ask your question. Jane, you might have to find the got it button. We are recording. Yeah. Uh, if you do Alt-M, it should unmute your microphone. All right. Let's take the next right. one and we'll come back to Jane one, one more time before we. Yeah. We've got somebody with a 682 area code. 682, unmute and ask your question. This is Calandra. Hi, Calandra. Welcome back. Hey, thank you. Um, what I wanted to know is, um, you said it's an interesting life story and everything, but what I am interested in, I know you're interested in art and, you know, creativities and stuff, and I like what you do over the phone and uh, to reach others, but do you have any favorite music? you like to listen to or books you like to read and listen to during leisure time? Great question. Thank you. Yes, yes I love music and I love books. Um, yes, I, oh, wow. Music, I'm quite eclectic. I will listen to anything from like new age type of Enya meditation type music to more kind of like, I don't know, uh, hard rock uh, type of music as well. Um, so my I run the gamut when it comes to music, um, and that is in both English and Spanish. Um, I'll listen to anything from like a it's gonna make me cry, you know, that like ballad in Spanish to reggaeton that gets me up and dancing. And so that's mm. my answer to your music question. And as for books, I'm sort of the same way. I enjoy lots of um, genres. Right now, my partner and I are working our way through some, um, what is it called? Body horror. He is a, a big fan of horror. And I, I'm i interested in it too. And um, I'm open to being exposed to, to genres that I hadn't exactly examined before. And body horror is one of those things that we are um, exploring together right now. So nice. 
Yeah. And Calandra, if I can make a suggestion, if you're looking for something in the um, Latino ballad that will that'll make you feel, check out Chavela Vargas. <laughs> Go to YouTube or um, or um, whatever spot you know Spotify, whatever you use, and, and check out Chavela Vargas. It'll you can't not feel. All right, let's try Jane one more time. And I want to remind folks, Nefertiti was on Sunday edition uh, three weeks ago. We were talking about. Five days for George Floyd, say his name. Um, we got to know her a little bit there, um, but we spoke a lot about the business <clears throat> and a lot about the movie. So if you did not have the opportunity to check it out, you can go to acbmedia.org, go down to podcast, hit Sunday edition, and uh, check out that conversation as well. Jane, are you ready to unmute? I hope I'm unmuted. Oh, there Am you I? go. Welcome Woo-hoo! back. Yes. All right. <laughs> I want to say a couple of things. Neff, it's wonderful to hear your sweet, hard-won energy. I have memories of being heartbroken and physically broken. I am totally blind, and in my first dance, school dance, we had a dinner, and the boys at my table of four took my food and switched it with dirty dishes. And I tried to suck it up and brave on and I just waited for dessert to come and they did the same thing. So what I learned that night is that sometimes out of brokenness, you grow. Carrying on down my life, learning that I had an appearance, that was pretty fabulous. I didn't like the look appearance that people foisted on me. I have family who were highly involved with um, drama and photography, and boy, I heard about the look. I love who I am today, and it sounds like you love who you are. I love my sturdy, steady self, and I love the feel of my skin, and I love freedom of movement, and I love it that I am learning at my ripe old delighted age of 74 to sit back a little and let some life come to me and i bless you in your journey i really really do that's all jane you are a delight you are oh my goodness delightful (laughs) i can't i'm speechless right now i'm speechless i'm glad you love yourself i love you jane this was that was beautiful (laughs) beautiful and yes i love myself now in a way that i have never loved myself before and i'm so grateful that i've had enough life and health as tenuous as it is to experience this because when i say it gets better i i mean it i mean it i'm living proof of that and it sounds like you are too i'm very sorry for for the the more negative things that have happened, but you said it beautifully out of brokenness comes healing. I know, you know, I think of us as mosaics, beautiful mosaics, maybe a sharp edge here or two, little jaggedness here and there, but that's all right. That'll keep the the crappy people away too. So so Anthony, one thing you and Nefertiti left out is name those feelings don't only don't just cry them out or howl at them, but name them, call them the a-holes they are if yeah. you want to, or name them technically, you know, whatever it is. But the other thing is walk, 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 walk. And 
my twin sister has been the hugest example yeah. to me of the value of therapy, which gives you a third person or a more neutral person to help you see yourself as you need to see yourself, not as others do. Yes. Okay, now Absolutely. I'm going to shut And up. this person is learned. No, thank you so much for bringing this back up because I want to add something. Um, in addition to saying that this, this neutral person is a learned person, yeah. right, who, who has yeah. been trained in this space, um, I also want to say that, yes, feel those feelings, name those feelings, don't be ashamed of feeling those feelings and ask them. One of the most empowering things that I, I was taught in therapy or that I was exposed to in therapy is actually talk to those feelings and say, like, what are you trying to tell me, fear? What are you trying yep. to tell me, anger? Also, give yourself the room to say, you know what? I am angry right now, but I can't I can't be angry right now. So so I, I will deal with you later. You know, I will deal with you later when I can in the way that I can in a productive way. So yes, name those feelings, feel them, identify them, talk back to them, examine what they're trying to tell you, because everything we feel is trying to tell us something. Yeah. Yep. I genuinely believe that there's no there's no wrong feeling. Um, and yeah, therapy. <laughs> well, Jane, thank, thank you, you so Jane. much. <laughs> we love you. Um, yes. never you. Thank you, you so much for coming back and letting us do a much deeper dive. I knew that it was going to be so worth it, and it, it has been. Please feel free to, to stick around and um, ask any questions that you want from the ladies that are coming up next. Um, and maybe there'll be a question or two for you if you do stick around. If not, have a great day and good luck with the building. <laughs> I will stick around. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been a real privilege. We really... We went to places I wasn't expecting to go to. Um, and if anybody wants to talk more about audio descriptions and, and, and things of that sort, breaking into the business, because I know that's something that we, we you know, advertised as that, that we would cover. Uh, yeah. um, feel free to be in touch with me. I just want to say you can follow me on Twitter at Nef Matt Oli. Those are the first three letters of my three names, N-E-F-M-A-T-O-L-I. Or be in touch via email as well. Same thing, nefmatoli at gmail.com. I'll be delighted to hear from you, talk to you. I think of email as a the modern day pen pal kind of situation. And I, yeah. I, that would be, you know, I would be delighted to be in touch with anybody who wants to be in touch with me. And Anthony, thank you. You are thank wonderful. You. I love what you're doing here. Keep it up. Right back at you. And I you. will stay. Take care. <laughs> Thank you. All right. We're going to dispense with doing a promo because we were running a little late today and I am going to welcome back Zelda. Zelda, how are you? Well, I'm doing just fine. And, and as always, um, Sunday edition is the place to be. What a, what a wonderful guest you just had. Um, and what a wonderful discussion. Um, how inspiring is that? Thank you. And, and, and um, thank you. So we spoke a couple months ago and um, you started a bit of an inspiration here in our American Council of Blind Community by deciding that you're going to walk from your home location to our convention in Omaha, Nebraska. Now, folks, she's not on the side of the road somewhere calling in from, you know, a closed off booth or, or sitting in the back of a <laughs> diner. <laughs> but tell the folks um, how you started it and where we are now. 
Okay, I, I'm happy to do so. Um, I live in Edgeley, North Dakota, and and last year during the the ACB convention, um, I was so inspired by by the convention in general, as I always am, and and also by the fact of of the get up and get moving campaign. Mm-hmm. Couple those two things with um, the beginning of the Summer Olympics and. And I said to myself, Zelda, what is it you can do? Um, what, what goal can you set? Um, and I come up with this idea that I want to walk to the convention in Omaha, Nebraska. And I'm going to start today, but I didn't tell anybody about it for several weeks. Um, I, I decided to, to, to walk to Nebraska. Um, and, and I started walking on our... Hold on one second, Zelda. We have some yeah, background noise going. Could you please right mute? We'll have to start over. Jane, I think it's you. Can you please mute? Go ahead, Zelda. Yes. Okay. Um, well, and and as Anthony said, I am not literally walking to Omaha. I am walking on my my little country um, road, and and in the summertime when the weather was nice here in North Dakota, I very much enjoyed my walks and was often accompanied by um, my husband and or um, our golden retriever, Buck, and, and very, um, but as weather got colder, um, I've moved indoors. And right now I'm riding my, my bike, a uh, stationary bike, um, and I'm putting on the miles, going to Omaha. And the way I keep track of it, and I haven't counted lately, Anthony, but I have popcorn in one little jar. And as I do a mile, I take a, a kernel of corn and put it in the other little jar. And nice. I'm, <laughs> yes, I'm glad to say that that I can see my progress that way. It's it's a definitive way and I don't have to keep counting and I don't have to make marks. And I, it's my way to see my progress. But I can't tell you right now in miles, I know I'm somewhere south of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. But um, <laughs> <laughs> by July, I will have arrived. And it has, you know, what has the walking done for me? Well, number one, it's got me up and, and got me going, uh, which is which is good for me physically, but it's been good for me otherwise. Um, on those walks, especially the ones where, where I was by myself, it gave me time to um, really do some reflection, uh, do some thinking, do some planning. Um, you know, about what I was going to do with the rest of my day, because I'm, I'm a morning walker, typically. Um, and, and now, um, you know, at, as I'm at my stationary bike, I've been enjoying reading um, my, you know, a book, I take out my, my iPad, and I read a book from Bard, set it for 30 minutes, and off I go. So I am just, um, I'm very glad that that Anthony and others are keeping me accountable because if I hadn't made the announcement that I was doing this thing uh, on the leadership list, I may have stopped walking somewhere along the road. But now (laughs) you guys are keeping me honest and and I will definitely continue and and I'll see you on Omaha. Well, um, I have added somebody to our little team. Uh, I want to remind the folks that we're going to walk that last half a mile together in um, Omaha. And I've added Ron Brooks, who took the challenge on and seems to be doing really well with it, too. 
So the three of us are going to lead anybody who wants to walk with us into the convention center and that last half mile um, of, of our challenge. And thank you for inspiring me and thank you for inspiring folks out there. Uh, I'm going to give you double duty. Katie is on in the background. She's streaming. I want to thank her again. But I'm going to ask you to introduce the BOP ladies that are here today. All right. Good afternoon, Anthony. And it's just lovely to hear myself back in my headphones. So I hope I sound okay <laughs> you sound as great. I um, do this on the air. So thank you, everyone, for your patience and apologies for the technical difficulties. But um, we have quite the hour um, here and it was great to hear from Nefertiti as well, but we are gonna be chatting some about the BOP, Board of Publications. And I just want to, um, before I welcome my colleagues, want to give people who may not know just a little bit about the Board of Publications. Um, it consists of both elected and appointed members. So at the 2021 conference and convention, um, there were three people elected to the BOP and two appointed. So um, Cheryl Cummings and I were the appointees, Cache Wells, Penny Reader, and Zelda Gebhardt were elected by the membership. And it is great to serve on the board with all of them and they tolerate me attempting to lead and we all try to work together and it's, it's a great group we have we've been doing quite a bit this year and there's of course with um, with ACB always more work to be done it seems so um, I see that they're all here I believe so I'm just glad that we could all be here today. And thank you for inviting us to Sunday edition, Anthony. Absolutely. Thank you. You know, I am thinking that we should go backwards. Um, let's start talking about my baby. <laughs> when I was an intern, um, I helped to start ECD Voices. And I'm so glad that it's getting a revival of life. Um, so talk a little bit about the processes that have been put in place and what we can expect to see from the blog and how we can participate in the blog. Because I think people are still afraid. They don't know the process. They don't know how to submit their thoughts and things. So this is a great space to, to get that ball rolling. Sure. So we have the ACB Voices blog that was started several months ago and um, Kelly Gask and those who are working on the dots and dashes email um, send out some prompts for the blog um, and, and topics that we are looking for. Um, but people are welcome to submit anything. We've had um, we have community you know submissions from the community talking about what the community has meant. Um, and Cache has written a couple of lovely spotlight articles and some other pieces around, you know, what has happened in the past month and community. So really the blog is another communication channel that we are trying to use to help share more about what ACB is doing, both for internal and external audiences. So, um, 
for people who want to submit, um, there is the voices at acb.org email. And once submissions are received, we as a board of publications then begin editing those and getting them ready for posting up on the blog. Oh, I had accidentally muted myself. Sorry about that. <laughs> I was going to say, so, are, we, are we still there? We're all good? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to ask um, Penny and Cassie to step up. Um, when I was helping to curate the blog, Kelly and I, um, a lot of times we heard from folks, well, I'm not a writer. I don't really know how to write. And I would be in these fascinating conversations and say, okay, you kind of just wrote. You just didn't know it. You know, <laughs> send it. And we'll figure out how to edit it. Just just give us your voice. Send us what you got and we'll, we'll work with you. And I know, Penny, during the candidate forums, that was something that, you know, you were very passionate about having our members, our members know, understand, and feel. So you and Cache, I know, do a lot of editing. And if you want to talk a little about that and re, um, reignite that promise to our membership about their voice. I'm happy to do that. Uh, this is Penny. Um, I just, um, I, a long time ago, I was the editor of the Braille Forum, and I used to tell people that they could submit articles any way they wanted to. I used to get articles by email, but I also got articles by phone. Um, I got an article from a 10-year-old. Um, I just think it's really important that the, the title of the blog, which is Voices, really really say what it means. And so we are, we're happy to receive your articles and you don't have to be a fabulous writer. We just have to be able to figure out what you want to say and we'll help you say it. Um, so right now, um, two of us on the BOP take the lead each month. And um, when there's a blog submission, um, one of us who's the, the first person takes a crack at editing it. And then the second person looks at it and then we share it with everybody. And then it goes back to Kelly for publication. Um, um, we don't change your meaning. And if we don't understand what you mean, or we think you need to say it in a different way, we will reach out to you and let you know. Um, the other thing I wanted to say about the blog is that we really have several audiences. And one of the audiences is an ACB audience or and a community audience where we talk about things that are kind of internal to ACB. And another of our audiences is a blindness audience. And if you have a blindness issue, for instance, if you wanted to write about how you couldn't, um, you couldn't um, access your COVID-19 test, um, that would be a perfect topic to write about because all of our readers, most of our readers are blind as well. And so um, I think it's good to uh, talk about blindness issues that are important to everybody in the community. And a third audience is people who are not blind. And I think people who are not blind need to know that we're, we're more well-rounded people. And of course, blindness issues are important to us, but so are other issues as well. Cachet's uh, blog, recent blog entry, uh, which kind of focused on Martin Luther King's uh, birthday, yeah. uh, was an article that you didn't have to be blind to understand. And Anthony, your article... Uh, around Thanksgiving about what we all have to be uh, thinking about in terms of our democracy and who we are and what we're thankful for and what we're not. That was an article that could be understood by anybody, not just blind people. So I think that our 
it's important to know that the audience for our blog is, is multidimensional. And if you have something on your mind, whether or not it's ACB related or blindness related or um, the whole world related, uh, those are the kinds of articles we want to see. Um, and really, uh, another thing I want to really uh, emphasize is that in dots and dashes, um, we have a, a kind of a, an annual calendar of things that we want to cover each month. And so Kelly shares those issues on dots and dashes. And if you want to write on any of those topics, that's also fabulous. So I guess I just want to say, don't feel like you have to be the best writer in the world. None of us feels that way, really. But um, we're all editors and we can help you say what you want to say. And also, when something is on your mind, think of ACB Voices as a great place to share what you have yes. to say. Yes. And Penny, I want to thank you um, because I am a fabulous editor when I actually sit down and do the work. Um, but I love to write and I absolutely hate to edit. I, I Believe it or not, I actually like editing other people's pieces. I can't stand editing my own. So when you came back to me with the feedback, it was like, oh, okay, yes, this is how I, this is how I make this point succinct. I can digress a bit here on Sunday Edition in conversations and definitely in my writing. Writing, and you really helped um, pull it back into, you know, focus for what the piece was really trying to say. So thank you for that. Oh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So everybody out there, again, you do not, you don't even have to think of yourself as a writer, but if you've got an idea and you want to express it, these folks will help you get it out there and get it out there as the best it can possibly be. Cache, uh, Penny just mentioned your piece. Um, and I've loved, uh, I think there's been four of them so far at the spotlights. Um, and if I've missed one, I apologize, but I I've loved your contributions. What, um, you're, you're kind of new to this piece of it. What if, what have your experiences been so far? How is being on the B how has being on the BOP enriched your life? Cache. All right, we'll come back to Cache. <laughs> Cheryl. Can you hear me? You can... Oh, here there you go. There you go. go. <laughs> I think somebody's going to protect Gremlins. My <laughs> <Yeah>, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. I was just a talking and I was like, oh, I must have got muted. But that's okay. Um, again, a great comments to Katie and Penny and um, my experience on the BOP has been very uh, interesting and what I will say is that I enjoy what I do. I'm working with a great group of uh, women and uh, it just makes uh, adjusting, you know, there's always going to be uh, a learning period, there's always going to be some growing pains and I think that's one thing that uh, helps us just to uh to grow as an organization to grow as as a board because we're learning each other and we're learning how to just keep the community keep the uh the door of communication open and keep the conversations going because we we each represent our membership and and that's what's most important so i've definitely enjoyed my experiences this far and i'm like you i love to write i'm passionate about my writing um i don't profess to be an editor I can edit but you know writing is where my heart is and so yeah. <laughs> I feel like for me I want to be able to express um, express that in a tangible way that 
draws others in to even if you don't understand my point of view just be willing to um willing to just take a look and see what a different side of the picture would be a different part of the picture would be a different view of what that would look like for the next person because that's what we're doing we're reading you guys this story we're hearing your voices and for me i just love reading each of the stories no matter whether they're in uh, the braille form the dots and dashes or the voices so i um was on a panel the other day with the Midwest CCLV and I encouraged them that even if you're not a writer don't look at it like I have to be a writer it's just just imagine yourself uh, around your family and friends or your chapter and you're just having a conversation you're telling us the story and so even if you don't know how to write the story um, I did put <laughs> my other colleagues out there I said feel free to reach out to someone on the board of publications and uh, you tell us your story and we will figure out a way to help put it on paper and put it into words and, and I think that's really what it boils down to the goal is just allowing our members the space to be able to share their voice so share your story share your event share what is important i feel i do believe that what is on your heart needs to be heard yeah you know i've i've been encouraging folks in bpi to to start thinking about writing about what they you know what the intersectionality of of our group means to them and you know submit it to the blog i think you know, with special interest affiliates, state affiliates, it's also a great tool. You know, maybe if state the state uh, presidents would designate somebody once a month to write a blog article about what their state is doing or something great, um, you know, some great programming or someone new in their chapter or in their organization on their board that, you know, nationally, we may not know their name. We may, we may not know what they're doing and how fabulous they are, but the, the blog is a great tool to to get you know, to get the rest of us to know what great work, you know, we're doing in our states and at our chapter levels and things. I do so agree I, with that. Yeah, I encourage, you know, all of us to take advantage of this tool. Um, Cheryl, you have been all over the place the last couple of weeks. Welcome back to Sunday Edition. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I'm going to ask you the same question. How, how has it been these last couple of months on the BOP? It has actually been a pretty fabulous experience. Um, when Dan initially approached me, I must confess I had to say what and why. <laughs> um, but I, I've always been somebody who loves to read, um, who loves books, and, and really likes the idea of, of words and playing with words and using words to communicate whatever. So I, myself, my sort of reading or, or writing background is not, you know, fiction. I mean, I, I worked for many years as a, like a policy researcher and writing those types of, of like articles and, you know, reports and things like that. Um, but I, I truly love what BOP does because not only are we concerned, as we've talked about here, about the blog but we are really, you know, having an opportunity to really um, assist and give feedback on sort of all sort of media publication types of aspects of ACB. Um, and I, I just think that's, that's like a fascinating opportunity to really learn how an organization functions 
And um, and and and, I, and as uh, Penny and Cache and, and uh, other folks have said, it's it's a you know on a smaller um, I suppose emphasis. It's it's an opportunity to, to to be part of this team of ladies. And notice it's all ladies. Yes. <laughs> are, no, no, no. Who are working, right. who are working together, um, and you know, and figuring out figuring out how to to like present ACB. So you you very recently juggled two of your hats um, at the same time. I don't know if you're wearing one to the right and one to the left, but tell us um, what's coming up in regards to the Multicultural Affairs Committee and publications. Oh my gosh! Um, so I, are you asking me about the April Braille Forum? Yes. All right. Yes. Yes. So, <laughs> so um, again, so many we, had so little time. Uh, I know. I need. I need another twenty-four hours somewhere. Um, but anyway, so April, uh, um, MCAC is uh, submitting articles for the April Braille Forum, and um, those will be focused on, um, you know, sort of talking about our culture, sort of culture within our family culture within the larger society and how sort of um, ideas or aspects of those cultures have influenced how we live our lives as, a, as blind people. I've got to say, we've got like some really fantastic submissions um, and I hope everybody, you know, will, I'm sure everybody is already reading the Braille Forum, but, you know, the, the April issue will be, I think, really um, insightful. So. Yeah, I'm, I think it's going to be really special and, and thank you for allowing me to submit a little piece. <laughs> yes. So we're going to circle back to Katie. Katie, who um, would you like to talk about BOP Awards? Um, well, we can all kind of sh share in this a little bit. I think we all know a little bit about each award and maybe some background um, about it about them. So we, um, I can start and introduce the three awards that we offer. And um, some of you may have heard this before, but um, I want to let people know that we have the um, Ned E. Freeman Award. And that one really recognizes articles that have been published in the ACB Braille Forum over the past year or other state and special interest affiliate publications. We have the Vernon Henley Award and that award is a good one for its, its intent is to recognize positive portrayals of people who are blind or have low vision in general media. And we have the Hollis Liggett Award, which recognizes state and special interest affiliate publications. So those are the three awards that we give each year. And the deadline for those is April 1st. And there was a great article in the January edition of the ACB Braille Forum, which goes into detail about 
the criteria for each award and what is required as well as how to submit a nomination. That's, that's awesome. Um, I'm wondering if you guys have had any conversation about um, how to integrate some of the great community programming um, into po a possible new award or, or how that could flesh out. There's been some, some amazing programming coming out of our community um, that I think should be recognized at some point too. Can I just that if you want, uh, Anthony, because we are in the process of talk, talking about that. Um, yes. Certainly there's the blog content. There's so much wonderful content on ACB Media. And so during the next year, it's too late to do it for this year, mm -hmm. but certainly starting after we have chosen this year's awards or, or have received the nominations for them, we can talk about next year. And um, I think that we will probably either broaden the criteria for some of the awards or possibly even create new awards. And I'm sure that every, all of us on the BOP would welcome anybody's suggestions about um, uh, what kinds, what we should be rewarding and uh, maybe who we can honor if we create a new award. So um, I, I, I'm glad you asked that question because it's obvious to all of us that there's a lot more content out there than just the content in the Braille Forum or the newsletters from the individual affiliates. Um, and uh, although the Henley Award is wonderful because it reaches the whole world, not just blind people, um, we, we do need to uh, be able to reward people in our own organization who are contributing to all of our education and all of our appreciation. So um, I'm glad you asked the question and we are definitely gonna be um, uh, talking about it with the board and talking about it with all of you and possibly creating at least one new award or expanding the criteria for the awards we already have uh, by, by next year at this time. Awesome. So can, um, can you guys, uh, ladies, tag team and just give us a brief history of the, the um, honorees, you know, who we are honoring with the three awards? We can. Right. We, we didn't plan this out formally, but so. <laughs> it's <laughs> but not yes, choreographed. We do have the capability to do that. <laughs> Wait, can I, can I say the two things I know? Oh, sure. <laughs> hopefully it's not the two things somebody else was planning to say <laughs> so um so uh ned e freeman what i know about him is that he was maybe the first was he the first president of acb um he was one of the first one of the first president one of the first so he was definitely around like 58 59 that that time period. And um, once he um, left his presidency, he actually became the editor of the Braille Forum. Um, so, you know, and, and he's, I, I did a little, well, we all did a little checking and, and saw that um, he was really involved in um, that period when um, ACB was new and getting set up and forming. Um, so he's, he's somebody who was truly um, instrumental, I think, in sort of shaping what ACB could be and also what the Braille f Forum could be. Because one of the things they talked about was this commitment to the Braille Forum being um, a space where 
you could have differing opinions. So it, yeah. it, inviting open, you know, uh, open and uh, controversial opinions and, you know, certain, as I said, opinions that were different. So that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I, 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 will, I will go on from there if you want. Uh, because, well, um, I, okay. I'm sorry, Zelda. Um, That's all right. Yes. Go ahead, Kenny. I, I was around when uh, the um, the Hollis Liggett Award was um, created. Charlie Hodge was a, a longtime member of ACB. He worked for the Department of Labor. He was a lawyer. He was probably the most committed member of ACB I ever knew. And um, he had known Hollis Liggett uh, back in the beginning. And Hollis Liggett... Um, was the editor of a publication called the Braille Free Press. And the publication came into being because um, blind people who were members of the NFB at the time, so this would be in the late 50s, um, they could not, if they, if they didn't tow the party line, if they didn't agree with the leadership of NFB, they could not get their articles or their essays published in the Braille Monitor which was then and still is the main publication of the Federation. Um, and so um, a new publication was created called the Braille Free Press. And the premise for creating that was that anybody could get their opinions published in the Braille Free Press, uh, whether or not they agreed with, uh, they were controversial or not. Um, and Hollis Liggett, who was a minister who lived in Tennessee, was the um, first editor of the Braille Free Press. And um, that publication existed until ACB was formally created. And then the Braille Free Press became the Braille Forum. Um, and then Hollis was not the editor anymore. Uh, he, was, he was pretty busy, he had a big family and uh, he was a vendor and he had a lot of other things going on. And I do, I believe that Ned Freeman then was the first editor of the Braille Forum. So that's one of the reasons we have the Board of Publications to guarantee that the Braille Forum is a publication where controversial issues can be aired and discussed. It's a forum where we uh, welcome all kinds of opinions. And um, I know when um, BPI, which was then called BFLAG, was uh, being discussed, the creation of BFLAG was being discussed in the Braille Forum. We ran opposing articles, one on the side of creating BFLAG and the other on the side of not creating BFLAG. Um, it amplified the discussion and it helped ACB come to the right conclusion, uh, which was to accept BFLAG and welcome them with open arms. So it's important. It's always been really important to me and it is to all of us on the BOP. Mm -hmm. that the Braille Forum is a place where diverse opinions are welcomed. And uh, we don't call each other names, but we can, we, we can allow for disagreements with one another and even with the, uh, the leadership of the organization. So, Zeldi, you're next, and I'm sorry. Oh, I no, no, you. no, that's great. And, and Penny has such great um, personal knowledge. Mine has been kind of secondhand, you know, um, but I value it. And I'd like to talk about... Um, the Vernon Henley Media Award. It was first presented in, in 1989, and that was 
um, just a couple of years after Vernon C. Henley uh, died. And who who was this Vernon C. Henley? I didn't know. Uh, you know, um, he he was um, the the producer of ACB reports. I didn't know what that was either, and maybe you don't. Um, the, this was the popular monthly radio show um, that was, um, it was initiated by Vernon in 1982 and was carried on 75 ra uh, radio reading services nationwide. So wow. that was pretty big, yeah. And he was also the chairman of the ACB Board of Publications. He also served as, um, uh, a well, he was a computer enthusiast and, and that, you know, computers were just getting going way back then, um, but he recognized what a tool that was and he was ever president volunteer at the ACB conventions and seminars. And they said, you know, nothing was beneath him. He would help load up a tour bus or whatever needed to be done. Um, he was a devoted husband and father and a friend of blind and visually impaired people everywhere. Uh, he was from Oklahoma and was active in the Oklahoma Council of the Blind and, and the ACB Radio Amateurs. And uh, through all of his many efforts, Vernon Henley um, held blind and, and, and not only just blind and visually impaired people, but disabled people of, of all um, types um, and, at heart and, and worked continuously to help them um, become integrated as full and contributing citizens in in their communities and and nationwide. So that that is who this award was named after. I think with that, um, it gives us a little bit more of an idea of of what this media award is all about. And it's and really I, I important to nominate people for the Vernon Henley Award. When you yeah. see a, a, a commercial or a movie or hear something on the radio that really portrays blind people as contributing members of a society. Those are the kinds of things that we want to award, reward yes. with the Vernon Henley Award. Yeah. Uh, I remember one of the first, one of the ones we did back in the uh, early 2000s was McDonald's had a commercial that featured a blind child yeah. and, um, uh, and was reading the menu in Braille. And that was a really cool thing. And it let people know that, you know, not only that McDonald's had a Braille menu, but that blind children could read and figure out what they wanted to eat for themselves. Um, so, I mean, it's those kinds of things we really want to reward. And we really, really do want you to be our detectives and to report back to who's, who's doing this wonderful stuff. Because, you know, we can't be everywhere. And so please, please do help us in that and make those nominations. April 1st is the deadline. Um, I am a firm believer. Uh, it probably comes most stridently from my LGBTQ activism, but um, I, I am repurposing it in, in this phase of my journey. I'm a firm believer of, you know, we can't go forward unless we know who came before us, how they came before us, and what they did to make the playing field more and more, you know, um, open for all of us. And so, you know, knowing who these folks are and why they're rewarded with an award in their name is really important. So thank you so much for bringing us that 
that information tonight today. Um, Katie, I'm going <laughs> to swing it back to you <laughs> sure. so we can talk um, some more about what's going, what else is going on with the BOP. And I want to remind folks straight off the bat that the first Tuesday of every month is the BOP meetings. And I should have thought about that before I scheduled in the land of Peru, which unfortunately <laughs> goes opposite it once a month. Yes. But, um, yes. Fortunately, we have to catch it on the podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. But they are open meetings and, and um, there's quite a bit of feedback that's given. So tell us, um, tell us what's going on. What, what else are you working on and um, what should folks know? Well, thank you, Anthony. And yes, our meetings are open to the public and they are also streamed on ACB Media 6. So you are able to tune in to them. Um, but of course, you are welcome to join us in Zoom as well. And the meetings are the first Tuesday of the month at 9 p.m. Eastern. And if you are not a night person, you <laughs> may not last the whole time. Um, <laughs> we are not known for having short meetings. However, we get a lot done and we have a lot to talk about. So while the meetings do tend to go about two hours, up to two and a half hours, um, we, we do have a lot of good discussions. So we typically hear reports from ACB media. And of course, there's a lot going on in, in ACB media land. And we're going to begin helping put with some work in that space in terms of content and streaming and <clears throat> how we can work together to make sure that we are streaming all as much of the great community content and other content that we can on ACB media. So we're just beginning that project in terms of gathering data, getting some collection in terms of what, you know, streaming hours and, and what is streamed right now and how we can improve and, in, and increase that going forward. Also um, another big project that we are undertaking that I want to highlight is in the March issue of the ACB Braille Forum, for those who receive the hard copy, large print format issue of the magazine, you will see an article that is written in some new large print guidelines that we are considering adopting. And these came to us courtesy of the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, who I consider to be quite the large print experts. I certainly am not, as I'm a Braille reader, for those who don't know. So um, large print is certainly not my area of expertise, but the intent of these guidelines is to help ACB really conform and make large print that is accessible and readable by as many of our members as possible. And of course, we understand that vision varies and people's conditions are, you know, might be a little different or vary from person to person, but we are trying to make this, these changes um, more consistent with other organizations and large print standards that are accessible around the country and the world really. And so this change um, 
it's been about five years since there has been any change to the large print guidelines. And um, again, the, the friends at CCLVI came to us and said, hey, can you help us? We think these changes would benefit ACB members and our, our organization. So we are, we are taking this forward and putting this in the hands of our large print readership. And um, we will also put the, um, you know, the article will be online in the, it will be in all formats with the Braille form, of course, but those who, again, receive the hard copy large print issue of the magazine will be able to see how it looks on paper. So that is our intent behind that initiative. And we're going to be speaking more about this at some other events coming up, such as um, the leadership conference in March. And um, we're also working to share the information with affiliate presidents as well and some other promotion that we're looking to do. But I did want to highlight that here because it is coming up and we think that it will be a, an exciting, positive change for ACB to adopt these guidelines and help make large print more easily read by our all right, so I have another question. Um, we Penny mentioned a little while ago the internal calendar, um, but we heard a bunch about the ACB media calendar um, around convention time. Is there any movement on making that more universal for the membership and being able to access all of our information a little bit easier through using the calendar? Yes, yeah, so what I can say to that is that we work with um, ACB's communications coordinator, Jennifer Flat, manager of communications, and she is new to ACB. And Anthony, I'm blanking. I'm not sure if you've had her on Sunday edition or not. Once, um, yeah, she's coming yeah. back soon, by the way. Okay, <laughs> yes, so she is a great addition to the ACB team. And I know that there is some work being done um, kind of behind the scenes or by staff to distribute some information about how people can begin to use the calendar more effectively, more efficiently. So yes, more, more is coming on the calendar. And also the calendar uh, is now available on the acb.org website as well as ACB Media. Um, and I know Rick and um, Jennifer and others have been working really hard to make it a more comprehensive calendar. And also it will interface with your Google Calendar. Um, so if you wanna, there's something that you don't wanna miss that happens periodically in ACB, I, it's a great way to make sure that you don't miss it when it shows up on your own calendar. Um, so um, I, I think it's it's only going to get better. It uh, um, It's really a lot more comprehensive even today than it was like three weeks ago. So yeah, they're working nice. on it. I need to go check that out again. Yeah. Um, and we're working, wanted... we're also working on go putting ahead. together some um, communication or possibly even some recordings or calls or something around, you know, helping people understand how to use it. So we, on the BOP call the other day, we highlighted the need for that, that, you know, it's great to send out a communication that this is happening and here's how you can get to it, but people might want some additional training. So I think that's also something that's in the works as well. Well, Count Sunday edition in whenever, you know, you're ready to really roll out some of that communication. Um, I want to remind our listeners that 
We will stay for a few minutes after we go off air to answer a few questions. I have one final question for you ladies. Um, and that is, what can the uh, editors and contributors of uh, publications throughout our organization, i.e. special interest in state affiliates, what kind of um, offer of help or what tools do you have that they can reach out for to update, modernize, um, revolutionize, or just, you know, freshen up their, their communications? Zelda. Zelda? Yeah, I think Zelda needs to talk about the editor's workshops. <laughs> All right. Well, well, we do have an editor's list. So if, if you are the editor of, of your affiliates um, publication, wh whether that is a monthly, a bi-monthly, uh, you know, uh, however often you, you public, publish, pub, publish those, those um, information to your members, um, please uh, let let me know. I'll add you to the list, and and that that is a way of connecting with one another, editor to editor, so you can share your successes and your challenges. Um, and I know that's a forever changing group of people, so let's keep that list updated. Um, that's the first thing. And and then we have quarterly editors gatherings, um, and. Um, we have talked about various different things. Um, the The next editor's gathering will be on March 18th, and it will be um, addressing Duxbury, uh, the software. And um, oh. so, yeah. And, and so we're, we're trying to impart um, through those sessions um, information that um, we, we did one on, on formatting, uh, we've, we've, and, and we're willing to go wherever the editors want us to go. It it's, should be editor-driven and editor-led, uh, just facilitated by, um, by the BOP. Uh, are they open? Can folks that maybe want to become an editor or become a, a solid contributor to their state or special interest publication? Um, are they open for other people to, um, back in the day, used to call it auditing a class, um, you know, to listen in and, and kind of feel out if it's something that's, that's right for them? That's a, that's a really interesting question. No, at present, we have kept it to the group of, of people that are, you know, the troops in the, in the trench, so to speak, the ones that are currently doing that um, but that is something we should probably should consider in the future. We, we do have, and we have had historically uh, workshops at convention um, where anyone who, like you say, wanted to consider whether they wanted to be a part of that group, they wanted to go into that, that area and, and um, create some personal growth in, in um, that they might want to do that um, can kind of sit in and and um, and check it out, um, but thus far we've kept this as a peer-to-peer -peer group, um, so that people who are are attending those those calls are truly the ones that are that are doing that work. And uh, similar to to like the president's list, where um, it's just limited to the presidents, and you can speak frankly about your challenges and your successes. All right, I'm going to transition. Oh, go ahead. No, we, we do um, 
record. So it's possible that we could make possibly some podcasts or something with, with some of the calls, especially around those that where we do cover something like Duxbury or, you know, the one where or we talked about adding some yeah. of those more, you know, general interests that might really benefit everyone. So we, we can certainly look into that as well as addressing the issue of the, as you say, Anthony, the auditing portion. So I, I like that concept. So mm-hmm. um, we I can too. certainly look into that. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say that, um, just recognize that as the BOP, we're just here to assist the editors to getting their voices heard. And as editors, we just encourage you guys to encourage your members that they're enhancing the process. Yes. Well, ladies, stick around for a few minutes. I'm sure there will be at least two or three questions. Um, I want to remind everyone that this coming week is Leadership Training Week on ACB Media. And uh, three of your favorite shows, uh, Paul Edwards with Tuesday Topics, he will be tackling effective communication in a really fun way. Tony Stevens, uh, Thomas, Thomas Reed, Jennifer Flatt, Debbie Grubb, they'll be doing, uh, myself, we'll all be doing some role plays on uh, effective communication with legislative assistants and representatives. On Friday, Debbie Grubb returns um, in on Visibilities with Terry Pacheco to talk about landing those all-important meetings, because if we don't get the meetings, then we can't practice what we're going to practice with role play. And then uh, next Sunday, here, Clark and Swatha and some subject matter experts will introduce the imperatives. So um, those will be edited down to a two-hour podcast featuring all the pertinent information from all three shows that'll be available to anybody and everybody who wants to participate in Leadership Week. So please check that stuff out. I want to thank Katie Frederick for stepping in. Byron, thank you so much for getting here. Um, Everybody, Nefertiti, oh my God, what an amazing conversation. Thank you for being here. Zelda, Kenny, Cache, Cheryl, and Katie again, (laughs) wearing those two hats. Thank you so much for appearing on Sunday Edition. I'll be back next week with uh, our imperatives. You've been listening to Sunday Edition with Anthony on ACB Radio Mainstream. For more information, questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, etc., please email celebrationac. That's the word celebration with the letters AC at AOL.com. Look forward to hearing from you and let's brunch again next Sunday.